Chapter Seventeen of Vicky Van by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Seventeen, the gold fringed gown. After that night, Fleming Stone became more desperately in earnest in his search for Vicky. It seemed as if the sight of her, the realization that she was a real woman and not a myth, had whetted his eagerness to discover her hiding place and bring her to book he established himself in her house and both he and fibsy practically lived there going out for their meals or picnicking in the basement room this room became his headquarters and a plain-clothes man was on duty whenever stone and fibsy were both absent though i don't think she'll ever come back again stone declared gloomily she was desperately anxious for that address book and so she got it through my stupidity i might have known she'd make a dash for the street door i should have had that exit guarded but i've seen her and i'll get her yet at any rate she hasn't left the country or hadn't last night whatever she may do to-day it was the day after vicky had given us the slip it was mid-afternoon and i had gone to see stone on my return from my office i was sadly neglecting my own business nowadays but mr bradbury looked after it and he sanctioned my devotion to the schuyler cause randolph schuyler was an important citizen he said and his murderer must be apprehended if possible do all you can calhoun for humanity's sake and the laws take all the time you want to i'll see to your important business so though i went downtown every morning i came back at noon or soon after and plunged afresh into the work of finding vicky van there was little i could do but stone consulted and questioned me continually as to vicky's habits or pursuits and i told him frankly all i knew also i managed to make business matters loom up so importantly as to necessitate frequent calls on ruth schuyler and i spent most of my afternoon hours in the fifth avenue house and ruth was most kind to me i couldn't say she showed affection or even a special interest but she turned to me as a confidante and we had many long pleasant conversations when the subject of the mystery was not touched upon though she never said a word against randolph schuyler i couldn't help learning that aside from the horror of it his death was to her a blessed relief he had not been a good man nor had he been a good husband on the contrary he had blighted ruth's whole life by thwarting her every innocent desire for gaiety or pleasure for instance she spoke of her great enjoyment of light opera or farce comedy but as mr schuyler didn't care for such entertainment he had never allowed her to go he had a box at the grand opera and ruth loved to go but she liked lighter music also this was not told complainingly but transpired in the course of a conversation at which fibsy chanced to be present gee he said looking at ruth commiseratingly ain't you never heard the jitney girl or the prince of peoria ruth shook her head smiling at the boy's amazement there was a subtle sympathy between these two that surprised me for ruth schuyler was fastidious in her choice of friends but he amused her and he was never really impertinent merely naive and unconventional well on the day i speak of stone and i sat in the basement room awaiting fibsy's return he was out after certain information and we hoped much from it i got a bunch of dope he announced as he suddenly appeared before us don't know as it'll pan out much but listen and i'll spill an earful i had learned that fibsy or terence as we ought to call him was trying to discard his street slang and was succeeding fairly well save in moments of great excitement or importance 
and so i hoped from his slangy beginning that he had found some fresh data i chased up that shore boy first he related and he didn't know anything at all said miss van allen's a lovely lady but he most never saw her the judy dame did all the orderin and payin as far as he was concerned good pay but irregular work she'd be here a day or two and then likes not go away for a week well we knew that before then next i tracked to his lair the furnace man same story here to-day and gone to-morrer as the song says course he ain't only a stoker he's really an odd job man ashes sidewalks and such well he didn't help none any i mean but and the shock of red hair seemed to bristle with triumph i loined one thing that julie has been to the sewing woman and the laundress lady and shut em up yes sir that's what she's done tell it all said stone briefly well i struck the seamstress first she wouldn't tell a thing and i said calmly i know julie paid you to keep your mouth shut but if you don't tell the law'll make you that scared her and she owned up that julie was to see her about a week ago and give her fifty dollars not to tell anything at all whatsomever about miss van allen some girl that vicky van julie went there herself i cried yep the real julie gold teeth and all but i quiz the needle-pusher good and plenty and she don't know much of evidential value it was always funny when fibsy interlarded his talk with legal phrases but he was unconscious of any incongruity and went on you see as i dope it out she's accustomed to sit in miss van allen's boudoir a sewin and might have overheard some gossip or somepin like that and miss van allen was afraid she'd scatter it and so she sent julie to shut her up i don't believe the woman knows where miss van is now i must see her said stone yes sir she won't get away she's a regular citizen and respectable at that well then the laundress to her also julie had likewise went and to her also julie had passed a spondulix now i don't understand that so well for laundresses don't overhear the ladies talkin but anyway julie told her if she wouldn't answer a question to anybody she'd give her half a century too and did doubtless the laundress knew something miss van allen watts kept secret doubtless sir but i don't believe mused stone that it would help us any to learn all those women know if miss van allen thought they could help us find her she would give them more than that for silence or get them out of the city altogether where is miss van allen mr stone fibsy asked the question casually as one expectant of an answer she's in the city fibs living as somebody else yep that's so over on the west side say among the artist ladies studio gang maybe so but she has full freedom of action and goes about as she likes julie also they come here whenever they choose though i don't think they'll come while we're here it's a queer state of things calhoun what do you make of it i don't believe vicky is disguised her personality is too pronounced and so is julie's i think some friend is caring for them not ariadne gale of that i am sure but it may be mrs reeves she is very fond of vicky and is clever enough to hide the girl all this time the police have searched her house 
i know but mrs reeves and vicky could connive a plan that would hoodwink the police i'm pretty certain i'll look into that and stone made a note of it about that carving-knife fibsy did the caterers take it away by mistake no sir i vestigated that and they didn't that knife is an important thing to my mind the detective went on yes sir eagerly agreed fibsy it may yet cut the georgian knot why mr stone the sewing lady knew that knife she was here to lunching a few days before the moider and she says she always sat at the table in the dining-room to eat after miss van allen got through and she says that knife was there cause they had steak and she used it herself i described the fork perfectly and she recognized it at onct you're a bright boy i exclaimed in involuntary tribute to this clever bit of work i'm sociated with mr stone said fibsy with a quiet twinkle it was clever agreed stone i'm sure myself that the absence of that small carving knife means something but i can't fit it in yet we went up to the dining-room to look again at the carving fork still in its place on the sideboard i was always thrilled at a return to this room always reminded of the awful tableau i had seen there the long slender fork lay in its place though it had been repeatedly examined and puzzled over it had been carefully replaced but i can't see i offered why a carving-knife should figure in the matter at all when the crime was committed with a little boning-knife that's why the missing carving-knife ought to be a clue said stone because its connection with the case is inexplicable now where is that knife fibsy where is it fleming stone's frequent appeals to the boy were often in a half-bantering tone and yet rather often terence returned an opinion or a bit of conjecture that turned stone's cogitations in a fresh direction you see sir he said this time that knife is in this house it's gotter be that lady left the house in a mighty hurry but all the same she didn't go out a brandishin of a carvin knife nor did she take it along and drop it in the street or an ash-can for it had been found so she's secreted it summer and it's still in the house unless yes unless she has taken it away since you know mr stone the van allen has been in this house more times than you'd think for yes sir she has how do you know lots of ways for instance on saturday i noticed a clean squarish place in the dust on a table in the lady's bedroom and it's where a book was that book disappeared during friday night i don't remember seeing the book i didn't notice it to know what book it was but the clean place in the dust couldn't get there no other way well all is it shows miss vick comes and goes pretty much as she likes or did till you and me camped out here then you think she left the knife here that night and has since returned and taken it away i dunno fibsy scowled in his effort to deduce the truth let's look he darted from the room and up the stairs stone rose to follow that boy is uncanny at times he said seriously i'm only too glad to follow his intuitions and not seldom he's all right we went upstairs and then on up to the next floor fibsy was in vicky van's dressing-room staring about him he stood in the middle of the floor his hands in his pockets wheeling round on one heel they say she ran upstairs for she flew the coop he murmured not looking at us that miss weldon said that 
well if she did she naturally came up here for a cloak and bonnet i'll never believe that level-headed young person went out into the cold wild in her clad rags and no coverin well then say she left that knife here locked up good and plenty where where i say would she secret it he glared round the room as if trying to wrest the secret from its inanimate contents mr stone says that walls have tongues i believe it and i know these walls are just yellin the truth at me and yet i'm so sold if i can't make out their lingo well let's make a stab at it mr stone i'll lay you that knife is in some drawer or cupboard in this here very room maybe fibsy said stone cheerfully where shall we look first all over and fibsy darted to a wardrobe and began feeling among the gowns and wraps hanging there with a touch as light as a pickpocket's he slid his lightning-like fingers through the folds of silk and tulle and turned back with a disappointed air frisk the whole pack nothin doin he grumbled but don't give up the ship we didn't having something definite to do we did it thoroughly and two men and a boy fingered every one of vicky van's available belongings in an amazingly short space of time now for this chest said fibsy indicating a large low box on rollers that he pulled out from under the couch it was locked but stone picked it open and threw back the cover at the bottom of it beneath several other gowns we found the costume vicky had worn the night of the murder my good land ejaculated fibsy the gold fringed rig ain't it classy stone lifted out the dress heavy with its weight of gold beads and held it up to view on the flounces were stains of blood and from the wrinkled folds fell with a clatter to the floor the missing carving knife i stooped to pick up the knife excuse me mr calhoun cried fibsy grasping my hand don't touch it fingerprints you know right boy and stone nodded approvingly pick it up fibsy yes sir and taking from his pocket a pair of peculiar shaped tongs terence carefully lifted the knife and laid it on the glass-topped dressing-table probably all smudged anyway he muttered squinting closely at the knife but there's sure some marks on it gee mr stone there's somepin doin his eyes shone and his skinny little fingers trembled with excitement of the chase stone studied the gold-fringed dress the blood-stains on the flounces though dried and brown were unmistakable wonderful woman he exclaimed now we've got this dress and what of it she put it here not caring whether we got it or not she's gone for good she'll never be taken this proves it to my mind and the knife i asked thrilling with interest there you go again if miss van allen put that there for us to discover the marks on it are of no use perhaps some she had put there purposely you see i'm inclined to grant her any degree of cleverness from what i know of her ability so far she is a witch she can hoodwink anybody except f stone esq amended fibsy you perceive mr calhoun the far-famed detective is already on to her coives stone looked up to smile at the boy's speech but he returned his gaze to the golden-trimmed gown of course he said it is improbable that she took this off before she left the house that night 
i opined she threw a big cloak round her and rushed out to the house of some friend likely she found a taxicab or even commandeered some waiting private car for her flight you know we are dealing with no ordinary criminal now if i am right she brought this gown back here on some of her subsequent trips as to the knife i don't know i see no explanation as yet since she stabbed her victim with another knife why in the world hide this one up here what say fibsy way past me maybe she was usin both knives and the other one turned the trick and when she got up here she seen she had this one still in her grip and she slung it in this here chest to hide it i ain't sure that's the correct answer but it'll do temporarily i say mr stone i got an awful funny thing to ask you it won't be the first funny thing you've asked me terence what is it well it's pretty near eatin time and ah oh, pshaw i just can't dare to say it go ahead old chap i can't do more than annihilate you well i want to go to the skylerses to dinner to dinner yes sir and not to the kitchen eats neither i want to set up to their grand table with their butlerses and feetmen and be an honoured guest can i mr stone say can i fleming stone looked at the eager flushed face he knew and i did too that there was something back of this request but it couldn't be anything of vital importance to our mystery oh i understand said stone suddenly you've taken a desperate fancy to mrs schuyler and you want to further the acquaintance but it isn't often done that way my boy oh now don't kid me mr stone either let me go or shut down on it one of the six but it's most necessary i do assure you maybe she won't have you why should those grand ladies allow a boy of your age at their dinner-table because you ask em sir fibsy's tone was full of a quiet dignity very well i'll ask them and stone went away to the telephone fibsy stood looking raptly at the gold gown and now and then his eyes turned toward the knife on the dressing-table the table was covered with silver toilet implements and save for its unfitting suggestion the knife was unnoticeable among the other trinkets it's all right said stone returning mrs schuyler sends a cordial invitation for all three of us to dine with her much obliged i'll be there said fibsy unsmilingly End of chapter 17